Hello, and welcome to Spotlight On, where we put the spotlight on changemakers and experts in the field of safeguarding. Throughout the series, we'll have conversations with those who can offer insights that can help us all to better understand safeguarding and improve our practices. This podcast is produced by the Safeguarding Hub Eastern Europe. Our hub provides practical and accessible safeguarding resources that aim to reduce harm to refugees and displaced people. I'm your host, Sarah Martin. I'm the Capacity Building Advisor for the Safeguarding Hub Eastern Europe, and thank you for listening to today's episode, Protecting the Vulnerable, Understanding How to Make Recruitment of Volunteers and Personnel Safe. In this episode, we'll be putting the spotlight on Sophie Moore, a safeguarding consultant who's working with us here at Safeguarding Hub Eastern Europe. And she's talking with Inez Shajak, Deputy Team Leader and Hub Manager for Safeguarding Hub Eastern Europe. We'll be discussing safe recruitment, the challenges of applying it, how you can implement safeguarding into your organization, best practices and more, all while looking at it from an Eastern European lens. So let's get started. So, Sophie and Inez, as a quick summary, can you remind us of what we mean by safeguarding and what safe recruitment is? So, to talk about um, what safeguarding is, uh, broadly, it means preventing harm to people, uh, whether it's staff or communities, during the delivery of humanitarian assistance. And what we mean by safe recruitment is a set of procedure to guarantee that every step of the recruitment process will prevent the hiring, keeping, and transferring of people who have already committed a safeguarding violation or are at risk of committing one. Thanks for that, Sophie. So then I guess my next question would be, what are some of the key challenges facing organizations when it comes to safe recruitment? One of the main challenges that we we can mention is very often limited resources in terms of number of staff, uh, especially also having specialized HR staff. There are also limited resources for training and capacity building uh, for staff on safeguarding, which can lead to a lack of awareness of safeguarding and what safeguarding is, which is something broader than child protection. We also have the challenge of uh, limited resources for background checks and vetting processes. And this can be especially true for local or national organizations. And we can witness also cultural barriers uh, and resistance to change when it comes to implementing safeguarding measures. Uh, And this is something that I've seen throughout my work and uh, several countries that I've worked uh, with in the Middle East or West Africa. And finally, a high turnover, uh, or we can say a lack of continuity in staff, can make it difficult to to maintain safeguarding systems because you hire the staff, you train them, then they leave, and you have to do it all over again, which is a very big investment in in time and and money. Thanks so much, Sophie. And how interesting that you mentioned the issues you've seen in Middle East and West Africa, because it's exactly the, the same things we are seeing in Eastern Europe. So in terms of resistance to change and also the norms, both the societal norms and cultural norms, they are definitely working against us in this context. In addition, we need to remember that the knowledge about safeguarding is quite new in the Eastern European countries. 
with organizations really starting from the scratch when it comes to implementing safeguarding measures. So of course, because of that, safe recruitment is last of the list. And in addition to that, unfortunately, reference checks of any type are very rarely, if ever, conducted. There is this deeply rooted strong belief that all humanitarian workers are good people, so they will commit no abuse whatsoever. And this is, of course, blocking us when it comes to safe recruitment. That's super interesting to hear. So what measures would you say that nonprofit organizations need to take to ensure that their recruitment process is safe for both the organization and for any of their potential staff? Yeah, thank you, Sarah. That's a great question. So there are several steps that an organization can take. We have a how-to note that outlines in details uh, how to do safe recruitment, and it will be linked in the description of this podcast. But I can here just summarize a few of the most significant steps. So I would say, firstly, at minimum, have a clear safeguarding policy uh, or a code of conduct, even if it's um, a short document. Um, to uh, conducting the background checks and vetting process for all potential staff members, including short, uh, short-term staff or volunteers, always keeping what the local laws and regulations of your country say. And again, you will find those detailed information about this in the how-to notes. Also, um, I would advise providing to the extent possible an orientation or onboarding session to new joiners on what are the expectations in terms of behavior and what your safeguarding policy or code of conduct says about safeguarding and make sure that you are implementing the, the policy or the code of conduct and you have at least a reporting mechanism for safeguarding incidents where people can actually talk about, about incidents that might happen. And finally, and this is something that I really try to do and really um, find useful, is try to work uh, with other organizations, international or national or UN agencies, because it's always interesting to share best practices um, and work together to, you know, strengthen the the safeguarding efforts, uh, since we are all working in the same area and trying to to deliver the um, the same services. In all countries where we work uh, in Eastern Europe, there is much more awareness about the criminal checks which are being conducted for roles uh, which are related to people who will be working with children. There is much more in place when it comes to child safeguarding and child protection. So this is definitely an area where we could learn a lot from organizations who are already conducting some criminal checks related to those posts. As I've said before, otherwise references are rarely requested, so it's not common to go back to previous employers and ask them about potential sexual misconduct that has been committed by their staff member. And as in my experience with the misconduct disclosures team, very often the fear of the legal implications of conducting such checks is very, very often stopping organizations from running any kind of checks really. Uh, And usually this is something that's related to the fact that both the data protection laws, so this can be the GDPR in uh, European Union or other laws in different countries such as Moldova, together with the regulations included in the national labor laws, are quite strong on just what needs to be done by employers if they want to request any type of information. 
But what we need to remember is that, first of all, those laws have been put in place to support us as employers to be able to request those information. So we can treat them really as a guidance and help for us to make sure that we are requesting all the information we would like to have before hiring someone. So um, speaking of these different laws, what exactly are the legal frameworks that are in place to ensure safe recruitment in the region and how can they be used by the organizations? So there are various legal frameworks that are in place in Eastern Europe, um, including labor laws, criminal codes, child protection laws. Um, and this also includes European Union regulations, um, such as the GDPR laws. For example, uh, if we talk about Poland, there's a law that makes it mandatory to report child sexual abuse. Uh, and the Polish government maintains a sex offenders uh, register which is uh, in large part accessible to the public. Realistic implementation and enforcement of these frameworks can vary greatly between the countries. And it can be difficult for smaller organizations with less staff and resources to navigate the, this complex legal landscape um, and you know, remaining compliant with all the relevant laws and regulation. So in order to help uh, the organizations in Eastern Europe navigate those regulations, we have outlined in details and per country, so Romania, Poland, and Moldova, how these laws can be applied for your for organization. And they are written in the, in the how-to notes uh, on safe recruitments that you can find on the, on the RSH website. Thanks a lot for that. Um, I'm sure people are going to be very interested to read the how-to note. Um, going back to what you said earlier, can you go um, more in depth into the roles of referrals and background checks in safe recruitment? Yes, I, I think it's really important to highlight this, um, why it's so important. So we want to remember then when delivering help, you know, or assistance to communities, there is automatically a power imbalance between those who provide the services and those who receive them. And this power imbalance makes communities more vulnerable to all forms of abuse. So when we are hiring staff to work with the communities that will be receiving the services, it's really important to ensure that those staff's members um, that are hired do not pose a potential risk to the organizations and the communities. So when we say conducting background checks, it also includes things like criminal record checks, employment history verification, um, and we want to see if candidates uh, may have committed a safeguarding violation in the past or at, are at risk of, of committing one. And I think it's really important to conduct these checks in a humanitarian context, uh, especially in times of crisis, because, you know, there's a lot of, of uh, tension, there's a lot of things that are ongoing, and you will have employees and volunteers which will be in direct contact with the most vulnerable communities like refugees, for example, um, women, children, and, and members of the LGBTQI community. Thanks so much, Sophie. That's such a brilliant point, what you've said about the power imbalance and how the organizations can use referrals and background checks to make sure that we are protecting everyone we work with. And this is really how I'm seeing the background checks we are conducting as organizations. It just helps you protect people you work with and make sure that the values of your new employees are aligned with the values your organization is having in place. 
And just to go back to my experience with the misconduct disclosure scheme, I mean, I do understand that all those legal uh, challenges and all those legal regulations which you talked us through are very complex and might look like something scary that requires a lot of preparation to be able to just make sure that we are meeting all those requirements. But in my experience, as I've said, with the misconduct, misconduct disclosure scheme, we've uh, conducted over 29,000 checks. And what those checks have been looking at was any data related to sexual exploitation, abuse, or harassment committed by employers hired by organization. So the new employee will go back to past employers to make sure that this data is checked before you hire anyone. So with over 29,000 checks conducted between 2019 and 2021, over 140 hires have been rejected because the references which came back to the requesting organization disclosed some issues and some uh, cases of sexual misconduct which have been committed by those individuals. And with all those 142 rejected hires, the number of complaints and lawsuits relating to the implementation of the scheme and running those checks has been zero. So this shows us that yes, of course, we need to keep in mind the legal regulations and we always need to be guided by what is legal or not in the country we work with. But also this is something that can be easily navigated. And just those numbers which I quoted just now show you that just a simple check with a previous employer can be really powerful and help you make sure that you know whom you are hiring. Thanks for that, Inez. So um, how can organizations in Eastern Europe ensure that they're complying with local employment laws and regulations? And what are some of the key challenges that they may be facing? I think it's important that all organizations, small or big, familiarize themselves with all the relevant laws and regulations, um, which include also employment and labor rights, child protection, um, etc. But we also know that it can be difficult to navigate the complexity of the legal systems, and it can be a challenge for smaller organizations that have more limited uh, resources in terms of staff or funding. So to help, uh, they can check the online guidance from the RSH uh, Eastern Europe Hub, including different how-to notes or tip sheets, but also um, the, there are resources online from UN agencies, international organizations, um, you know, working groups, forums, where you can network and connect and uh, exchange um, information and documents about, uh, about all of this. It's also very important to connect with local knowledge because we have all those wonderful NGOs in each Eastern European country who has been present in the context for a long time. So very often we can just build on the expertise which is already there and just make sure that by bringing together the international knowledge about the reference checks and the knowledge of the context brought by the local organization, we work together to make sure that we can conduct those checks and protect staff and communities we work with. 
So now that we've learned more about uh, the importance of looking at the local laws and relying on local um, information and knowledge, how can organizations ensure they're hiring the right people when it comes to safeguarding? What are some of the best practices that you both know of for conducting background checks? So I would say conducting criminal record checks and employment uh, history verification where the law allows is really one of the most essential uh, steps that you can take. Checking references and conducting interviews um, to assess the the candidate's suitability for the role. And when you do that, when you check those references, when you conduct those interviews, ask specific questions about safeguarding. You know, ask, ask them to the candidate, but also ask them to the previous employer. And you will find some examples of those questions uh, and templates in the how-to notes that we mentioned earlier. Also, because often in emergency settings, uh, we have less time. So you can shorten the interviews and still keep at least uh, one safeguarding question or behavior requirement in your interview. For example, by asking candidates, how will you carry out your work in a way that does not harm or abuse others? And finally, I would say, remember that evaluating the suitability of recruited staff should not stop after recruitment. You have uh, to keep up with ongoing performance review, um, you know, good supervision of staff, responding to safeguarding concerns. All of these points are vital to, to keeping the communities safe on the long term. In all we do about safeguarding, we need to remember that this is an ongoing process. It's not a one-off tick box exercise, we need to keep on improving and making sure that we follow up on our actions. Also, the misconduct disclosure scheme offers you a ready-made form, which allows you to request information related to past misconduct, sexual misconduct. And this is now available in Polish, and we will share the, the link to that resource together with this podcast. So what are some of the challenges that you've been seeing in doing the safe recruitment in emergency contexts? Yes. So in my experience as, you know, both an HR lead and a safeguarding lead, I've witnessed what happens on the ground when you are doing uh, recruitment in emergencies, because very often you have limited time to recruit staff and you have this pressure to fill the positions quickly and to implement the activities quickly. So it means that um, to cut Uh, some corners and gain some time, you might overlook background checks that are critical. Often also, you have limited resources like staff and time and funding. You want to start the program right away. And so when those resources are limited, it's difficult to find the best way to allocate, you know, the resources. You want to hire, you want to do the background checks, you want to interview, et cetera. So it can be a bit difficult to prioritize in those instances. It can also be challenging to verify the information about potential employees because other organizations where the employees have worked are also busy and have their own challenges and their own pressure and might not be very quick in responding to your requests for references. One of the challenges also um, that uh, we have to think of is the language and cultural barriers. Um, So you might need to recruit staff that are from different countries or culture. I'm thinking, for example, about hiring people from the refugee community that can help you also do the work and speak the language of the communities that you are serving. But it also means that 
Uh, you might find it more difficult to communicate with them, but also to have information about their previous employment and be able to uh, verify their background. This is something we've seen in Poland uh, at the time when the war on Ukraine started last year. The sheer number of refugees arriving in Poland, of course, meant that the recruitment needs to be scaled up very quickly. As you've said, Sophie, this is something that happens in each emergency. Of course, considering the amount of work that had to be done to just make sure that we can support refugees and deliver safe services, unfortunately, safe recruitment very often has not been a priority. And considering how many new staff and experts needed to be hired to make sure that we are meeting the needs, this has been sometimes overlooked. Luckily, now, a year on in the war, organizations are quickly learning that safe recruitment is one of the key measures to make sure that we are providing a safe environment and that we are screening the staff we are going to work with. Thank you, Beth. So now my final question to you would be, what steps, what concrete steps can employers take to protect themselves from hiring people who are a potential safeguarding risk? I think uh, it summarizes um, everything we, we talked about. And so I would say develop clear policies and procedures for safeguarding, which include a code of conduct and reporting uh, mechanism for safeguarding incidents. Conduct background checks and vetting processes for all potential staff members. Provide regular training and capacity building for staff on safeguarding issues, including an onboarding session. And work collaboratively with other organizations, local and international, to share best practices. And we can mention here, for example, working uh, groups, uh, forums, and also the interagency misconduct disclosure scheme. Yes, I would like to echo that last point, Sophie. Everyone just do remember to work collaboratively with others. We are all in the same situation, we are all learning, and by coming together this process is quicker and much more effective. So it's key to make sure that we are all connected and work together. And as Sophie said, there is many networks and working groups which are addressing those issues at both national and regional level. I'm Sarah Martin, and you've been listening to Spotlight On, produced with the support of Safeguarding Hub Eastern Europe. We had help from Inika Vass and Mariam abdel Acker. Thanks to all of you for listening, and thank you to Sophie Moore and Inez Shajak for joining me today on this episode of Spotlight On. I hope you enjoyed learning about safe recruitment. If you want to learn more, please visit our website, easterneurope.safeguardingsupporthub.org, and download the how-to document on safe recruitment. If you have any comments on this episode or want to share your thoughts for the focus of future episodes, contact us via social media on Facebook or LinkedIn, or you can email us on easterneurope at safeguardingsupporthub.org. Thanks for joining, and we'll see you on our next episode.